if you consume any kind of content through podcasts, YouTube, or LinkedIn, you know there's a lot of different approaches to cold calling. We happen to teach an approach. There's a lot of different approaches that a lot of sales trainers teach. And at the organizations I work with, there's even more. And in this episode, what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about with a few of our guests here that I'll introduce how to ditch gimmicks and use tried and true frameworks instead. So there's a lot of gimmicks out there asking people if they have 27 seconds and asking them if they want to roll the dice. And if none of that feels very authentic to you, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. But before we get to that, my name is Jason Bay. I'm your host at Outbound Squad. We care a lot about helping you as a sales rep or sales leader turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're an SDR, BDR doing a lot of prospecting or an AE who is doing prospecting and closing deals, you're definitely in the right place. So in today's episode, this is from a webinar that we did recently. And our two guests are Megan Huston. She's a sales development manager at Zoom Info. And she actually started at Zoom Info when she was 18 in a data entry role and got into management by 21. So she has just been straight crushing it. You're really going to enjoy her perspective. And then Colin Spector is our other guest. He's a VP of sales at Orem. So he's got over a decade of SaaS and leadership experience. And he's taken the sales team at Orem from six to an eight-figure business. And a lot of that has been through cold calling. So we're going to talk about where cold calling fits in, the workflow, and we're going to get really tactical with intros, how to open the call, how to practice, how to handle some common objections. You're really going to dig this one. So without further ado, if you enjoy the podcast, favor I have to ask from you is please like and subscribe either on Spotify, excuse me, or Apple Podcasts. Really helps get the show in front of more folks exactly like you. Let's get to it. So we're going to talk about cold calling in a couple of different components. We're going to talk about the approach, and then we're going to get as tactical as you guys would like on kind of how to open calls, how to handle certain types of objections, that sort of stuff. Um, Megan, I'm going to kick the first question your way. A lot of people ask about, you know, how many times should I call? How many times, uh, how, how long should I wait between the calls? When is too much? When should I give up? You guys ran a bunch of studies, it sounds like recently at Zoom Info, but generally how do you and your team and the Zoom Info team approach call attempts, the sequencing strategy, that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm surprised we didn't run this data until recently um, because over the, the years that I've been here, it's been pretty much call them until they tell you to go kick rocks, right? So we, we ran some data recently and it seems like the sweet spot of when to normally send that breakup email to someone of should I keep calling or should I not is right around that 20 call mark, especially within a couple month time frame, right? If they've had a bunch of calls to them a couple years ago, then that's a little bit different. But I would say that 20 call mark is about that sweet spot. And what I teach my reps to do in the beginning when they're first calling a prospect is call them every day for a couple days in a row. And then eventually taper those days out. So if you call Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe call Friday, call Tuesday the following week, call Thursday the following week, and pretty much taper out from there. And say yeah. if you feel really good about the account, feel free to put it on pause, circle back around in a month or two, whatever you want to do. 
But normally my folks are double tapping people. And the reason why I believe in that is because there are so many robocallers nowadays where you don't know if it's a scam call. You don't know if it's a fake call. You don't know if there's going to be a person on the end of the line. So for us, we normally double tap people. And I find that most people understand why, or if they're like, why did you call me twice? Then you like tell them the truth. Hey, I wanted to make sure you, you knew that I wasn't a robocaller, right? So Maybe a couple times in the morning, a couple times in the afternoon, but I believe in double tapping for sure. How far apart are you spreading 20 calls? Is this happening over the course of a couple weeks, three weeks? Like how far does that typically get spaced out from start to finish? I would say probably a couple of weeks. If you were to wrap up the timeline of trying to engage with a company, then I think two weeks is, is a good time to spread it out. And after that two week time frame, it's it's either you're really emotionally attached to the account and you want to continue going for some reason, or you know you knock yeah. it out and go to the next. So a double tap because a few people are asking. This is I call someone, they don't pick up. I hang up the phone and then call them immediately back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about that. I'm going to kick this question your way, Colin. And by the way, it's fun if we disagree on stuff, you guys. Okay, <laughs> so no one's going to get their feelings yeah. hurt. I hope if we disagree on stuff. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Colin. Uh, Double taps. What are your thoughts on double taps? Is that something that you guys do at Orem recommend and any commentary you have as well around like, how do you guys think about the contact strategy and how many times I'm going to call someone and that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jason. And Megan, I I love the double tap. Uh, It has certainly worked at me uh, on me over the years um, because to your point, you get a lot of these spoof calls and I know if I'm getting called multiple times by the same area code, it's, it's probably a robocall or some sort of call warranty thing. The double tap has worked on me and it wor- it does work on folks. Um, and I will say just commentary, there, it, you, get mixed, you get mixed kind of feedback from it. Some people love it, some people hate it. The folks that hate it, they're like, I thought this was an emergency. Why were you calling me so much? And so you, you need to be prepared to, to have responses uh, to those type of personalities, right? And I think uh, knowing your goal is to get a conversation at the end of the day. Um, you don't want, you don't want to, you don't want to start the conversation off on the wrong foot as well. Um, so I think, you know, you, you mentioned the emotional connection to the account, Jason, right? Like before you get into the cold call, the research and preparation you've done and list building is so important. And so if you really with conviction, believe you're, you're targeting the right person, the right account, you're, you're focused on doing whatever it takes to get a conversation and share how you can authentically help that person. And, and so when you're coming from that perspective, it, it, it can ease the, the kind of guard that may come up even from a double tap. I think like if you're double tapping for, for not a genuine, authentic, empath, uh, empathetic per, uh, message, uh, then it can get lost in, in translation there. But yeah, I, I think it's a tactic that has been proven to work. I've picked up double taps. I don't always, but but it has gotten me over the years, so. I think the voicemail is important too. I've seen like a bunch of chats about leaving voicemails. I think that's so important. I asked my VP once about that. And I was like, what would, what would make you pick up being a VP of sales, having a busy day, having people call you all the time, what makes you pick up or give someone a call back? And he's like, honestly, if they would just leave me a dang voicemail, like, I don't know who these people are, but if they were just to say, Hey, it's this person from this company would love for you to give me a call back. A lot of the times he said he'd be more likely to actually give them a call back if he just knew who the heck they were. So I definitely believe in voicemail. So that way, even if they think it's a robocaller or an emergency or not, 
then you can prove that by saying, hey, this is a real person. I just wanted to call you. Give me a call back when you have the chance. So I think voicemails are huge. Yep. I want to, with voicemail, a really big thing, because this is what I always tell people when I'm training teams is the irony when I train people on cold calling is that I don't pick up cold calls. But you know what I do? I listen to every single voicemail. I at least hit play to watch the transcript. If it's relevant, I'll call the person back. The other thing too, and I'm curious your guys' take on voicemail because everyone's asking about it, is yes, Stephen Hunter just dropped it in. Um, I always like pointing the voicemail to something else that's less friction. So the, the end of the voicemail might be, hey, no need to call me back, Megan. I actually sent you an email. The subject line is SDR ramp time. I want to share with you how companies like Zoom Info and you know, yada, yada, yada are uh, improving ramp time right now. Boom. And you point people to something else. Um, the other thing I want to reference too, Orem has a lot of great data supporting leaving voicemails too. So if you leave a voicemail on the first call, the subsequent pickup rates on the second, third, fourth call are 25.8% higher. They did a huge study on this. Um, so I'll kind of open this up to the both of you. With voicemail, it sounds like we're on board with, hey, we should leave a voicemail. What are your guys' tips, if anything different around like what to say in that voicemail or what you've seen to be effective? I, I mean, just, just to further what, what Megan was suggesting before, you want to separate yourself from a robocall and show yourself as a real human. And so reducing uncertainty about who you are is key, whether it's on a cold call or on leaving a voicemail. And so Jason, I mean, you hit it. You may not actually listen to the voicemail, but you've got precious real estate on the cell phone where it's transcribing what is said. And so as long as it doesn't say HVAC and solar uh, or tax relief services, and I'm reading it, it's talking about sales development, improvement and ramp time and the company name and the person's name. It's reducing that uncertainty for me. And then when I'm seeing their email in my in my inbox, they've helped cut through the noise, right? Because you're we're getting inundated with so much noise these days. Inboxes are flooded to a level where I simply cannot even keep up, even with all the email filtering apps. And so if someone's hitting my voicemail, pointing back to a case study they sent me that's relevant or or something impactful they think can genuinely help me, I'm more prone to open that. Um, it's all about being omnipresent these days, right? And so not neglecting any one channel where you might meet the buyer. Jason, you don't pick up calls, but you read the voicemail transcription. Why neglect that channel knowing there's a percentage of the market that will respond to that channel is, is the way we, we teach it. Yep. I'm curious, Colin, what you think about pre-recorded voicemails. Are you an advocate or do you think they should be personalized every time? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you should, just like with email technology these days, it's having a good balance. And I, I do I do believe wholeheartedly in personalization and personalization at scale that's relevant to the person, especially if you've done your research. And so just as much as you're putting thought and research into that first email or third email or fifth email in the sequence, you're going to have automated, more templated emails that leverage the kind of if-then statements uh, with, with the type of email campaign technology we have out there. I approach voicemails the same way. So having a mix of personalized voicemails and voicemails you can sequence in lockstep with the rest of your sales campaign uh, just makes sense to work smarter and more efficient. And so it, it, I'm not one extreme or the other. Um, you know, I, I will say with any voicemail technology that folks are considering, there are a lot of laws around voicemails. And so ensuring that you're working with a provider 
that rings the call all the way through before leaving a voicemail uh, is also key. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, but just calling it out for folks that might think about that type of technology. Uh, you don't want to subscribe to any type of voicemail tech that, that may get you in trouble. So uh, Orem rings the call all the way through, and, and we do have a voicemail sequencing capability. So um, uh, it's really game-changing technology. So great questions so far. So we've talked about contact strategy, voicemail. I want to get into a workflow component that I think is super important. And this is the when to call. How should I prep for a call block? How should I structure them? And the reason why I want to ask this is that I find that the experience when someone hasn't really sat down and put a lot of thought into this, or they if they haven't been taught by their sales org, it's like, okay, I pull up an account, I do a little bit of research, and then I pull contact info with Zoom info, and then I figure out who to call, and then I make a couple calls, and I leave a couple voicemails, and maybe I send an email, and then I find another account. Oh, I need more contacts. And it's it's this uh, very inefficient uh, way of approaching it. How, Megan, at Zoom info, when you're working with reps or onboarding them or training them, how do you guys recommending like blocking and tackling those call blocks and feel to feel free to get as detailed as you would like, like when you make the calls, how long the call blocks are, if there's an activity component to it, how do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think when I schedule a call block for the team, it might not be an every day at the same time type of thing. Cause I feel like sometimes those can get kind of redundant where you're like, okay, well, I was just giving calls anyways. And now I have a call block in my calendar for some reason where I'm going to continue doing the same thing. Right. But I think it is important for, for AEs, SDRs to set their own call blocks for whatever works for them. I think once in the morning, once in the afternoon, maybe an hour long where they can just blitz through and get 20 calls in is a really good metric that I look at. And I find that a lot of the prep work to have a successful phone call definitely should be done before. If you're trying to have a successful call blitz where you feel like you have to stop, pivot, check this information, remind yourself, what was it about this company? Why am I calling again? What specifically do I have to say? Did I call them already? Is this the first time? It completely eliminates the benefit that you get out of just doing a straight call blitz. And I feel like a lot of it comes for the notes that you give for yourself that makes sense to you, right? Because sometimes I do the certain language where I'm giving myself notes and it wouldn't make sense for some other person, but they just need to give themselves notes that make sense for them where they can look at it quick at a glance and say, I know exactly what I'm going to say. I know exactly why I'm calling. So the prep before I think is crucial. So that way you can just do nothing but dial, look at your notes and then in my opinion, leave yourself notes. If you have to do any busy work, do it after after the call block. Because if you book a meeting, don't stop. Tell yourself what you're going to do after this call block. Go ahead, make the next dial. Continue to try and get back-to-back-to-back to back to back meetings booked so that way you don't lose your momentum. So quick comment, just because I see people asking in the chat. They're, you know, Someone said, well, hey, this sounds like uh, there isn't a lot of autonomy for this. It's like, no, you're actually working autonomy into this by doing it beforehand. <laughs> like I want to, during that call block, you said 20 calls that may not sound like much, but for someone that hasn't done, that's a lot of calls, especially if a couple people pick up. So I want to do all the prep. And I know the Orem interface is really great with this too, Colin, where it's like, it can you know integrate with my sales engagement tool where I can see the prep beforehand. And for those of you asking, Michael said, what kind of notes? 
this is like anything that you would customize in the first 30, 60 seconds, or like their job title might be something helpful to know, right? Whatever kind of triggers you would normally look for, do that work in advance, at least on the account. So again, I'm just dialing. The game right now, I don't know what you two are seeing, I'd be curious, is connection rates are usually less than 5%, depending on who you call. So the game right now is if I don't approach cold calling blocks like this, I might not get to talk to anyone the entire day. And there's yeah. also a way, you know, Orem, obviously, you guys have a very unique way of approaching this altogether. Um, but so I, I just wanted to kind of double click on that. Um, Colin, what kind of prep do you recommend someone does? Like if we're to get pretty granular, I think a question people always have is like, how much time should I spend doing preparation and finding something to talk about? How do you think about the balance and you mentioned personalization at scale earlier, but how do you think about the balance of like how much prep should I do knowing that 95% of the people I call are probably not even going to ever pick up? Yeah, Jason, great, great points there, right? It's you got to look at the connect rate. And once you actually have some data on the people that you call and the time of day that they normally pick up or the, what day of the week you have the best success rate, you can start to prescribe to your, your sales team or to you individually what days you should focus on prospecting, research, and list building versus actual focused calling. And so to Megan's point, when you're in the call blocks, you don't want to be bumbling for research between every call, especially during the golden hours for your specific ICP, your ideal customer profile. And so I'd say as a starting point, once you have some data and you can ask your marketing team, you can look in your CRM. But if you don't have some data, you got to go out and make some calls and try every day and do 100 calls each day of the week at different times and figure out when you have the most pickup rates, when are people not picking up the phone. And when you have that laid out, you can prescribe to your team, hey, on Mondays at 10 a.m., the people we call are always in their sales all hands. They're never going to pick up the phone. That's when we're going to do a prospecting power hour where we're strictly researching, we're strictly putting the account list together. And what we train with that is do the research one time. And so uh, our, our vice president of sales development, Terry Hussein, I'll give credit here, has been preaching this from day one of the company. Uh, you, you put your notes one time when you first customize your email and yep. that's your research on that person. And you're yep. going to use that over and over because when you get that person on the phone, you've got that information there. You're not, you're not fumbling for it. You're not having to reread it. Yeah, you could read it maybe while the phone's ringing, but I think the biggest mistake most reps make is they're researching, they go to make the dial, and they're just ringing and nobody's picking up. And they've just they've just burned all that precious time, especially if it's during the golden hour of pickup rates. So in terms of blocking and tackling, segment your time, prioritize the lowest pickup rate times to prospect and research, and then focusing your conversations during the highest pickup rate times and to Megan's point, don't stop when you get a meeting or a conversation. That's the other end. Most reps, they, they get a meeting. You know, if you ever cold call before, you get a meeting. There's no big, bigger dopamine hit in the world. I don't yeah. care. On a cold call, when you've done it, you've got a relevant message, you've objection handled, and you booked the freaking meeting, you slayed the dragon, right? There's no better freaking feeling. And what do reps, most reps do? They just get up and they stretch, they go get some coffee. But that's exactly when you should get back and, and continue your call block, when you got that momentum, more momentum brings more momentum and success. And so after the golden hour, 
to Megan's point, right? You go and you do your follow-ups, look at all the connections you had, do the homework of the email follow-ups, the scheduling, uh, that type of blocking and tackling. I get with SDRs, you might need to book an AE meeting right there live, but do the, the heavier follow-up after the call blocks over. Yeah. I think of it like, like meal prep too, right? If you think about the concept of meal yeah. prep, it does take time on the front end. And the reason why a lot of people don't want to do meal prep is they're like, it takes so much time, right? I could just make a quick, easy meal throughout the week, but people don't understand how ineffective it gets and how much more time it takes. And then they go get fast food and McDonald's because they don't want to make dinner and it, it defeats the whole purpose. So you have to think about it a little bit longer term where if you do your meal prep, you know, you'll be able to eat the right food, the healthy choices you want because it's ready throughout the week, even though the time ahead of time might not be the most delightful, but it's the delayed gratification that comes from it. I use that analogy all the time. You know, it's like if you eat 21 meals in a week, you would people would think you were crazy if you individually went shopping for each of those meals and then you right. cooked it and then you ate it. Like no one approaches eating their meals like that. So same kind of thing here. I think the big takeaway for everyone is break apart the task. Research is different from calling, is different from emailing, like break apart those tasks into components. Um, I'll give two tips also on connection rates and then we'll kind of keep moving here. Um, if you're kind of starting from scratch, we've already got some really good tips around Colin's like, dude, just look into your sales engagement tool and it'll tell you when the pickup rates are the highest. Like that's a great starting point. I've also found Mondays and Fridays, especially Friday early afternoon, tend to have pretty high pickup rates depending on your persona, just because salespeople are usually taught not to call on those days. Your prospects are going to be too busy. They probably had a long week, whatever. Those are when your prospects are getting the fewest calls typically. So that's something that you can try too. Um, okay. So that's the workflow part. I want to start to shift because people are probably really antsy to get the tips and the tactics and the what to say in the call and that kind of thing. Um, I want to talk about tonality first. So. Colin, I'll kick this first question your way. We talked about scripts when we were doing prep for this. There's a big debate on should we use scripts versus talk tracks? Like how scripted should I be? I don't want to sound scripted. There's all of this kind of stuff. When you look at just brass tacks of the what to say, where do scripts kind of fit into this and talk tracks? And how do you guys look at that at Orem? Yeah, there, there's this old adage in, in sales you don't want, you want to use scripts, but not sound scripted. And we can borrow this from Hollywood folks, right? Uh, a Hollywood method actor learns the script and learns the persona and embodies it. They know it so well, they cannot get it wrong. And absolutely, you should have a script and your rep should know that script and that script is the science. It's the science that you've tested, the, op the openers that work, the objection hills that work, the message that's relevant. But then the art of the sale, the authentic person that you are, you get to morph that. That's your Oscar winning approach to that role, right? Because you got many actors read the same script, but you, your portrayal of that part, you got to know the script so well that you can't get it wrong. And then you can own it. And then you put your art around it. So that's, you know, that's, that's the old adage there uh, and, and borrow that one from, from Hollywood. And it's, it's the truth. I think the best reps, they know the script so well that they just embody it and make it their own. And then you can wrap the voice inflection at the right points, the moments of pause, the moments where you want to get the guard down and, and moments of curiosity. If you're like the, 
the lost old grandpa that lost their way into this account and are not sure if you're the right person that can help me navigate this business solution. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's a perspective that, that we have at Orm. Love that. And Scott Sadler in the chat said, what is your take on recording yourself? Always record yourself. Like one of the best ways that you can get better at any kind of conversation is to record yourself and then humiliate yourself at first by listening to it. If it's the first time you've heard yourself, because it is a pretty humiliating experience, whether for me, it was podcasting or watching back a webinar or, you know, I was getting started cold calling, of course, listening back to a lot of those recordings. So definitely record. That's a really big way. Uh, Megan, this is I, there's some really interesting stuff that we talked about around tonality and the words that we use in that script, let's say. And you have a take where you like to avoid verbiage that sounds like a sales call. And the stuff that you listed out, I'm like, oh, some, some I teach some of that stuff. You know what I mean? And uh, it really kind of opened my eyes. But how do you think about the verbiage? And like the tonality and how do you how do you guys think about that at Zoom Info? I think if you can authentically deliver certain verbiage, it's fine 100% of the time. But there are some people who try to deliver certain verbiage and I'm like, are you even comfortable saying that? You don't sound like it, right? So if yeah. you say the, hey, do you have 30 seconds to tell you why I'm calling? For some people, it works great. For other people, you're like, please don't say that. I don't think you can deliver that in a way that sounds confident and not like you're walking on eggshells, right? So at least for me, and I know we talked about this, for, for newer reps that are struggling with tonality or certain verbiage, I have them go and talk to their mom, talk to their significant other, talk to their sibling, deliver the talk track that they want to deliver, pretend they're cold calling that person. And if their mom, brother, sister, grandma says, that does not sound like you at all. You sound like you're reading from a script. Why are you saying those things? Your prospect's probably thinking the same thing. So if you're delivering your talk track to someone that knows you very well, that can give you honest feedback. And preferably also someone who might not be in sales, who doesn't really know the difference and can just think of you as someone that might be cold calling them for solar or for HVAC or whatever it is, then you can get a really honest look at, do I think my prospect is going to be receiving these things the same way that my brother, sister, grandma, whoever would. So I really think it just depends on how you can deliver it. I think this is a I, huge pro tip. This is such a big pro tip. Yeah. Go ahead, Colin. No, I just agree with Megan. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been cold. I still cold call with the team here. Uh, and, and consistently I use my opener in my day to day. I'm at the grocery store. So the opener that I learned this opener from, uh, I'll give this credit to Chris Flores back at, at Namely many, many moons ago. And at first when I heard it, I was so like, uh, I don't know if that's me. And the opener is, Hey, it's Colin from, in this case, Orem. Hey, it's Colin from Orem. Are they keeping you busy? Great to connect. Are they keeping you busy today? Are they keeping you busy today as a pattern? And I use that every everywhere now. Any Zoom meeting I join, hey Jason, hey Jason, they're keeping you busy today. Yeah, they're keeping me busy. I've been doing performance reviews all day and pipeline reviews. Everybody's keeping busy. Hey, great to connect. Are they keeping you busy today? And as part of a cold call opener, you also want to reduce uncertainty. So always introduce your name, your company. At least that's what we teach because people are always in fight or flight mode in the beginning of the call. So the sooner you can humanize yourself and reduce the uncertainty about who you are, where you're calling from, 
And then you, you, you have an opener that humanizes you further. Everyone's keeping busy. And based on someone's response to how busy they are, you get an idea for the personality right away, right in the response. So that, and I use it, Megan, to your point, just in day-to-day interactions. So. Yep. Yeah. I like that you pick something there that you're using in your personal and professional life, because then it just becomes a, it's just a part of who you are versus this, you know, we make a joke about the sales hat, right. Versus like putting your sales hat on and sounding like a salesperson. And um, I love that. I love that. So you talked about reducing uncertainty. I think another thing I would add for tonality that is so simple, you two do it pretty naturally from what I can tell is smile. When you're calling someone, just have a smile on your face. You can hear the smile. It's a simple thing that I learned from call centers. We used to have a little, uh, like a little tiny mirror inside the cubicle. And the goal was we said, hey, when you're making calls, you need to see your teeth in the mirror. <laughs> you know? Um, so I think smiling is really big. It's 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 part of being very disarming. And um, Megan, so reducing uncertainty, we talked about um I would love for you to share like that first 15, 20, 30 seconds of the call. What are you recommending that reps say, do to really get past like that next part to where, okay, now we're in a conversation. Right. Absolutely. I saw someone in the chat talking about how they hate it when people ask them quote unquote fake questions. And that's another thing is if some people fully believe in banter, Some people hate banter. And if banter is a part of your personality where it's genuine and you're actually wanting, hey, how's your day going? How's the weather? Whatever question. I I don't naturally do banter, to be completely honest. I like to get straight to the point because I feel like it does build certainty and lowers that wall. If I go into straight, hey, this is where I'm calling from. This is the reason why I'm calling. This is why it's relevant to you and your specific role. And this is why. I feel like it's going to be worth your time, right? So for me personally, I feel like it lowers that guard. If you go straight into, this is why I think this is going to be valuable for your time today. And most importantly, this is why I'm calling you, right? This is why I'm calling you, Colin, you, Jason, not this is why I think your company is a good fit for what we do. But hey, I saw you're the VP of sales over at XYZ company. I know you're probably overseeing a team of sales reps. I know you're probably always trying to think of how they can cut down time prospecting and increase their times on the phone, which is why I wanted to call you, right? Then confirm you're still the VP of sales over there, right? Perfect. So you're just finding ways to establish relevancy. So that way this person is closing the gap in their mind of who is this person and why are they calling me to, I know who this person is. I know where they're calling from and I know why they're calling me in particular, not just two minutes of doing research on my website to see if my company's a good fit. So your opener, what I dropped into the chat, is that close, Megan, to how you structure the first part? I saw you're the VP of sales at XYZ company. I know you're probably, and then you insert kind of like a typical thing that your market that you're hearing from them that are focused on or a challenge they're dealing with. And this is something I learned from uh, Tyson and Rod when I had them on from Zoom Info was... Mm -hmm. uh, Like get the person, like get a conversation doesn't happen when one person is talking, get the other person talking as quickly as possible. And it could just be a quick yes. I think is what you guys really focus on. How can I get like two or three yeses? 
know, in the yeah, first part and have some dialogue. It's in How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. In my mind, that is the end-all be-all of books that every single person should read when they go into sales because I get that tactical sales books are great, but I think 90% of conversation on the phone is not just the words you say, but the people skills behind it. And I feel like that social awareness is something that not everyone is educated on. So when you look at the yes, yes method in Dale Carnegie's book, it's psychologically not only just getting them to talk. So it's not just you, but it's psychologically moving their brain in a direction of becoming more open to what you have to say. So if you say, hey, I'm giving a call because you're at XYZ company and you guys still offer these solutions, right? This is so this is what your company does. Yes. Okay. And you're still the VP of sales over at XYZ company. I assume you're overseeing some kind of sales team over there. Yes. So if you get those two yeses, even though they're the quote unquote dumb questions, sometimes in my opinion, those are okay because it's also establishing that you've done your research, you know who you're calling and you know why you're calling this specific person. Yeah. And I see Dale Carnegie getting some hate in the chat. (laughs) I know. I love love the book. The book is tried and true. (laughs) I know. I agree. If you're coming from a genuine place too, hopefully everyone on this call is coming from a genuine place where you feel like your solution can't actually help the people you're selling to. If you're not coming from that place, this is not the the webinar for you, just to be totally frank. Like we're yeah. operating under the assumption that we have integrity behind what we're selling and all that kind of stuff, right? right. Um, so love that opener. Colin, could you expand on the one you shared that are they keeping you busy these days? What do you try to accomplish next in that 15, 30 seconds? What what happens next typically? Yeah, it, it rolls right into to Megan's approach. So it's all about relevancy. And, and if you've if you've done your research, and what I loved about what, what Megan emphasized is you're you're bringing up that I'm reaching out to you specifically and actually saying that. Why why I'm reaching out to you specifically. So, so the opener, the opener that we that we teach here is is to reduce uncertainty that you're a live human first and foremost. So once once like we're past the fact that I'm not some robot, you know, doing car warranty or tax, you know, liability relief, then now I've got their attention, right? They're going to say, yeah, I'm keeping busy. What's up? Or yeah, I'm busy. Oh gosh, you don't know how busy I am. They'll respond differently, but now you're just in it. You're just in the conversation. And so getting a, what we call a custom hook of relevancy of why you're, you're you're reaching out to them specifically. This is where that research comes in. So to Megan's point, you could structure this a few different ways. You're reaching out to them specifically because you're calling a call block focusing on specific business problems that you solve for. So maybe this call block, hey, today we're going to focus on, on reducing ramp time for your sales development organization. Hey, for this call block, we're going to focus on lowering customer acquisition costs and extending the runway your cash runway in the business. And you, you and and so having two value props at minimum that you're you're bringing up with relevancy to the person, hey, I'm reaching out Megan to you specifically, I see you're heading up a sales development organization and at Orum we help sales development or, organizations such as yourself and SDR leaders such as yourself reduce ramp time, reduce risk, new hires don't work out when you get them on the phones the first time. I'm curious, I know you guys just went through a hiring sprint from what I see here on LinkedIn. How, how, what's your confidence level look like in 
uh, in, in these new hires uh, achieving or beating ramp at this stage? Is that an area of focus for you and the team today? And, and so just going into the research, right? And so, okay, they're like, all right, this is a really pointed reason this person's reaching out to me. They're saying this is an area that, that they help with. You could also just ask, hey, out of curiosity, I speak with SDR leaders like yourself, Megan, all the time. And I reach out to you specifically. I see you just joined the organization. Out of curiosity, new SDR leaders like yourself are typically focused on building playbooks, hiring people, and, and ramping them quickly. Are any of these relevant to you and what you're focused on right now? We do that a lot too. That's really good. Are any of those things relevant to you? I love those like client voice. Hey, I talk to a lot of people that go through X, Y, Z. Does that resonate with you at all? How are you combating that? Right. That's also good to bring up like when you're like going against a competitor, right? If they say, oh, I'm using this competitor. Okay. Hey, I talk to a lot of people that use that competitor. Normally they're facing X, Y, Z. Do any of those resonate with you? So I think that's awesome. You're running into that. No, no, and they might say no, right? They could say, uh, no, not really. I'm I'm focusing on this other initiative. And you need to be and able to pivot. Right? Then you know, you know what's what's most pressing to them, right? It's like, oh, okay, oh, okay, interesting. You know, I I don't even know if we can help you with that yet. Um, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? We might be relevant to that initiative as well. And you're just kind of back into it, you know. You, Yep. So you, you try and hook them with some relevancy in the beginning based upon the research you've done and the persona or problem you're calling about. And then you, you want to pivot to what's most relevant and pressing for them if it's not what you're shooting, you know, the darts at the dartboard at. But if you've done the upfront research, you've mostly reduced risk, what you're throwing the darts at are going to hit. Yeah. So I teach a very similar approach. I call them priority drops, but it's the same kind of stuff. So what what, what these two are sharing is, if I know generally two or three things that my target persona that people like this are focused on, I'm going to give them the menu list and it reduces the cognitive load of responding. If I just hear something that grabs my attention, it's a lot easier to say, yeah, that first thing you mentioned versus asking a really open-ended question like, what are your goals this year? Or what challenges are you running to, into with your sales development team? It's like, where do you want to start, dude? You know. So I think giving them a menu list for sure, great. The other thing too is I don't want to gloss over this, Colin. You had mentioned you frame the call blocks and around talking points. And one thing that we didn't talk about when we we're talking about blocking off calls is like if you can, you know, many of the clients I work with are selling to multiple personas. So they're selling to like a uh, contact center and then digital and then some sort of other operations. These are all different talking points. If I can take a call block and reduce the amount of like multitasking I have to do or switching, task switching, I guess is a better way of thinking yes. of it, where I call one persona, I have one or two main messages that I'm using, I can get into kind of a rhythm. Yes. Am I, am I kind of hearing you correctly there? I don't want to gloss over that. That's such a huge part to, to making this time efficient for yourself. No, it's, it, it's, it's a great productivity hack, especially when, you know, you, you're working with sales reps at they're just, you know, maybe they're sales development inside sales reps or, you know, folks that are just kind of getting used to the message and scripting. And if you've, if it depends on your business, right? You might have businesses that call all kinds of personas and offer different services and suites of products, different verticals. The more focus you can get in a call block and you're not kind of like going from CRO to SDR manager to CFO in your talk tracks, you might get to a point where you're so elite that you know it and you're good, but getting yourself focused in a flow of I'm going to call to represent this suite of products, 
to this specific persona at, in this specific hour. And, and you're just, you're just firing it. You, you're just, you just know exactly what points you're going to hit on, no matter who actually gets on the phone. One, you've got your research in front of you for that person, but two, the relevancy talk tracks, you're just tight and right with it. You've warmed up the script. You've done the rehearsal lines before lights, camera, action go on. You don't want to jump from scene to scene to scene. You're practicing the same scene over and over and over again. So yeah, Jason, no, it's part of like trying to reduce distractions and reduce risk that the conversation doesn't go well at the end of the day. I think that also that type of preparation along with getting into a rhythm, I don't know about you two, what I notice when I make these calls or when I listen to them is if you fumble over your words in the first five, 10 seconds, the calls usually don't go that well. You're already starting at a place and that's under, like, you have a lot of control over that part. That is the part that you can really heavily influence. Um, let's talk about what happens next. So let's say that we do our opener and we get an immediate, not interested, or hey, I'm about to step into a meeting. We get kind of that those brush off style objections really, really quickly when the person hasn't even really taken much of a chance to even listen to what we've said or anything like that. Um, I'll start with you, Megan. How do you coach reps around how to deal with that? I get the not interested. I'm about to step into a meeting that that brush off in the first 30 seconds of the call. I'm, this might be unpopular opinion. I like to be pretty blunt about when they say not interested, when we have not even talked about what we do and either asking someone, okay, Jason, what are you not interested in? Because yeah. I genuinely, I don't know what they're not interested in unless they have prior knowledge of Zoom info, right? So I just ask them and it's it's very important that you watch your tone here, but okay, Jason, no worries. I'm just curious. What are you not interested in? There's yeah. a difference between that and, all right, Jason, what are you not interested in? Right? <laughs> that can go, That can go very different ways. But if they say, I just don't have time for a sales call, okay, then you know the actual problem. They just think that you're going to pitch them something that's not relevant. Or they say, I'm way too busy right now. Then you can say, okay, great. Well, I knew that I probably wasn't going to call you at the perfect time of the day, which is why I wanted to schedule a meeting with you, right? That's the same thing. If someone's walking into a meeting, my favorite thing is when it's one one twenty five and they say, oh, I'm literally walking into a meeting or, you know, 17 minute mark, I'm walking into a meeting, right? They're not walking into a meeting most of the time, but you can say, hey, Colin, that's totally fine. I knew it would be very unlikely for me to call you at the perfect time, which is why I wanted to schedule a meeting with you. Do you have 30 seconds for me to to tell you why I'm calling? Right. So that's that's what I do. But with the big, I'm not interested in my mind. It's the roll your eyes moment of, okay, Colin, what what are you not interested in? Can you please fill me in? And most people will then give you the real answer or they just weren't going to be interested in the first place because they quote unquote don't take cold calls or they just don't want to talk to you. Yeah. I yeah. tonality I want to double click on is so important. Like when you did when you did the example of the tonality on the oh what are you not interested in? It sounds like you're genuinely curious versus okay. being accusatory, which I put down like empathize and like agree. Like you're you're basically agreeing with the person or not arguing with them. I think that right. objections especially cuz they happen so quickly in a cold call you have to show the prospect right away that I'm not, I'm not trying to be confrontational with you because that just never ends up well um, for a right. rep. Colin, what about you? 
those kind of shallow objections. And I might've missed a couple, but the, is this a sales call? Are you, you know, I'm not interested. I'm about to hop into a meeting. How do you guys think about that at Orem? I love it. Um, So I'll give one, I know that the the subject was no gimmicks. I'll give one gimmick I learned. And it's so, it's so funny. It's it's almost a pattern interrupt. And when someone says, Oh, I'm not interested. And by the way, Megan, I love your your approach to that. And and it's you're really what with any objection, you're you're trying to test if it's an objection or a brush off. Right. The classifying response is important. So you want to be able to test it. Like, is this an objection or are they still in fight or flight mode and trying to brush me off? Is it a, an objection because they're not interested in Zoom info specifically, maybe based on prior experience? or based on Orem because they had prior experience with some calling and prospecting technology, or, or, or is it just a brush off? So the response, and, and by the way, it's a great way to ask that. I, I wrote that one down here. Um, we, uh, the one I used early in my career, which I thought was so funny was uh, when they say, hey, I'm not, I'm not interested. I say, I used to say, well, well I'd, hey, I'd be falling out of my chair if you were interested at this point. Do you mind if I level with you real quick on why I'm calling and you could let me know if it's worth a longer conversation? And, and usually it's another way to test it. And they're like, well, you know, I'm about to run into a meeting. Well, you know, I actually took a demo with you guys last year and it wasn't for us. I'm not interested, right? At least you know what it is. You need a response that gets you to pass the test. Is it a true brush off or a true, a true objection? And so if you know it's an objection, then you can you can handle that objection based upon why they're not interested. And there's there's two quick tactical tips we teach here at Orem. Uh, the can I level with you real quick? I got from a sales trainer named uh, Beck Holland. We'll give credit there uh, years ago, and we train on it here at Orem. And it, it's a pattern interrupt. They say, "Hey, I'm I'm about I'm about to walk into a meeting." Hey. I'm about to join a Zoom call, or actually people pick up when they're on a freaking Zoom meeting. I'm, I'm getting cold called right now. I don't know if you guys in the audience, but I'll get a pattern interrupt on, 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 do a pattern interrupt on me. Hey, I know I caught you cold here. Do you mind if I level with you real quick to ensure it's even worth following up? Because I've got a 20-step I've got follow-up sequence, and I don't know if it's even worth putting you into that follow-up sequence. Do you mind if I ask you real quick? If it's worth a longer conversation, a few quick questions, and, and I recognize it caught you cold here. So that's that's also when I use what's called the upfront contract. It's usually in that objection handle. It's, hey, I know I caught you cold. You always got to go with the prospect, right? You always agree. Hey, empathize. I know I caught you cold here. Do you mind if I level with you real quick to share why I'm calling? And you can let me know if it's worth a longer conversation. That's really the one time I use the upfront contract. The other one I'll leave you with is, that's exactly why I'm calling. Yeah. The re- the objection is the reason. This is true jujitsu. We're jujitsu. Go with the prospect. So, hey, I'm not interested. Hey, that that's a, exactly why I'm calling. You know, Megan wasn't interested until she found out we can handle X, Y, and Z. And now they feel a different way about it. Do you, do you think that's relevant for you? It works with any objection. Hey, I'm about to run to a meeting. Hey, that that's exactly why I'm calling. I, I'm hoping to schedule a time where you're not in a meeting. Do you, do you have your? Do you think it'll be available in the next 30 minutes when the meeting's over? What time is the meeting over? So that's a real quick one. You can always lean on. That's exactly why I'm calling. I love the verbiage of I know I caught you cold versus this is a cold call. 
I think it's a lot more natural and you're just being more human. Like, Hey, I know I caught you cold, but if you have a second for me to level with you versus, Hey, full transparency, this is a cold call. When people say full transparency, the way I think about that is you weren't transparent until you said that. Yeah. So you're like, okay, to hop off my horse of not being transparent, let me be transparent with you for a second. This is a cold call, you know, now that you know that's this big secret, right? But if you say, hey, I know I caught you cold. Can I level with you really quick? It's a lot more personable and a lot more human versus, hey, this is a cold call. Yeah. And just remember, the three of us here sell into sales leaders, right? Most of the you watching probably don't sell into sales leaders. So just saying cold call, there's no inside joke with the people that you're calling if it's not people in sales usually, you know? So I... Uh, I love that. Um, okay. So this is the brush offs. I'm actually, I got to ask you, Megan, this just because you're calling from Zoom Info. What do you guys say when, when someone says, how'd you get my number? Oh, we say we got it from Zoom Info and that's exactly why I'm calling you. Right? And then you book the meeting from there. They ask no more questions and then they close the same day. No, I'm just But no, seriously. Like, yeah, I got it from Zoom Info. That's exactly, that's exactly why I'm calling you. It's, it's pretty simple. Yeah. The, uh, I think being really transparent with that one is, uh, is, is super clutch. So let's say it's a real objection. Um, I think one of the objections that people are getting, a lot of my clients are getting at least right now is, um, oh, you know, we're not taking on any new software solutions or providers right now, or our budgets are froze or, you know, that kind of stuff people are throwing around a lot. I'll kick this one your way first, Colin. How do you think about this one where it's a little bit more, it could be potentially a brush off, but let's say that someone really is in a, in a place where they can't really bring on something new right now. And the call has gotten to a point where you have had a dialogue, a conversation, the person's willing to engage. How do you think about this one? Yeah. So <clears throat> I love for simple frameworks uh, and I'll leave, I'll leave the audience with this one. This is a classic. This has been around. This one's so old. It has a beard. But it works. That's why Dale Carnegie books still works. People might rewrite it, modernize it. But the stuff that has worked since salespeople were in the, the old spice bazaar selling spices still work today, folks. Um, so this is called the feel, felt, found. Feel, felt, found. Very classic. It's a great one to use here. And it expresses empathy and understanding. And recognize that people say no because they don't know something, K-N-O-W, and they can make a new decision only when you give them more information. So the feel felt found is a great framework to be able to give them new information. It helps them save face because if they told you no, no means no, right? We're taught always no means no until you get more information. They don't, they're saying no because they don't know. So let's go through it. Uh, you know, you're saying to me, hey, I, you know, hey, Colin, like appreciate, this sounds awesome, but hey, budgets are frozen here. Like I, I've got no power to move any needle on, on technology spend here. Hey, hey, Jason, completely understand how you feel. Uh, you know, Megan over at Zoom Info felt the same way until they found out they were able to make a case with their CFO about repurposing some of that unused marketing budget from the other department towards this level of investment, because this, this impacts both not just sales, but marketing as well. Do you think if I, if I shared some additional detail on how we're able to make that business case. It, it might be wor a worthy pursuit here. I'm, I'm not looking for a decision today or asking you to buy anything today, but just want to provide you a, a path to partnership 
on making a business case and sharing others felt exactly as you do, but we're able to make something happen here. So feel felt found. I understand how you feel. Someone else felt the same way until they found out the new information. Yeah, I love that. I think that what this requires too for everyone watching and listening is customer story. I find that the you need to have two or three customer stories committed to memory that are relevant to the people that you're reaching out to so that you can bring up these stories. You know, it's super, super important. And even if you don't use the words feel, felt, found, you could, that, that framework and that approach referencing, like you acknowledge how they have their feeling, acknowledging someone else, and then the transformation, kind of like the before and after, you know? Um, so that framework, love it. Megan, what about you? How do you, how do you approach objections like this where it's coming from a little bit more of a legitimate place? It's a budget related type of thing or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah, I think when when Colin used the word like we want to like repurpose or we want to transition or I don't know when people when they get a cold call, they think it's going to be this big project that they don't have money for that doesn't align with everything that they're already trying to keep in place. So first things first, if they say like we're not looking for any tools right now or we don't have budget or whatever, then you can kind of have that human aspect of saying, hey, Jason, I know if you were looking for a lead gen platform, you would have inbounded to us already. So I totally get that. And most people that we talk to that are in a kind of budget freeze like I get how they feel, but if anything, we're not necessarily trying to get you to spend all this money on something you don't need. I th I would think trying to convince you to spend a penny on something that doesn't make sense for your business is not justified. So if anything, what we wanted to do is take 15 minutes to show you something that can possibly blow your mind and change your complete mind, change completely your mindset of how you're going to market. And if it, if then, if it makes sense, to have a further conversation, we would love to see how we can fit in with your current situation. So when you say how we can fit in with your current situation, how we can bridge that gap from where you are to where you want to be, you're not necessarily saying, hey, we want to go in and completely chuck to the side what you're doing, what you're spending your money on, and completely uplift and uproot everything. We want to see how we can fit in. And Colin said this before, I learned this from Jeremy Miner saying, I don't even know if we can do that yet. I don't know if it even makes sense for us to do that yet, but that's why we want to schedule a 15 minute call to see if it makes sense. And if it absolutely blows your mind, like it does with a lot of the people that we talk to, if then and only then, then we can see if it makes sense for a follow-up conversation to see if we can fit it into your current process. And then asking the question, would you be completely and utterly against that? Right. Is there any is there anything that's keeping us from taking 15 minutes to talk about that? Right. So it's that disarming sense of, hey, I'm not trying to uproot everything you got going on. I'm not trying to have you spend money. That doesn't make sense. If anything, that's what we're trying to figure out, because we work with a lot of companies in your space in this industry that have a similar sales motion, similar sales team to what you guys have. And I really think we would be able to help you guys. We just need to see if that makes sense first. So I agree with Colin on some points that he said in the past, like fitting those into that conversation, I think disarms the prospect a lot. Yeah, again, very good themes here. And I just want to repeat, there's some there's some one-liners that 
both of you shared today that I think are just good to work in, whether it's objection handling, even for the account executives on the call throughout the sales process too. The can I level with you from Beck Holland? That's exactly why I'm calling you. I know I caught you cold. The fit in thing that you just mentioned again, Megan, I, you know, I don't even know if it makes sense. You know, so it's, it's, it's little things that you can use to demonstrate that this is a, there's, there's, it takes two to tango here. Like I'm, I'm not bowing down to you because you're the prospect. Okay. Like, <laughs> you know, like my time is important to you kind of thing. And I don't know if this would make sense. So I love that. I'm going to drop before we bounce, make sure to check out zoom info or in the chat. I just dropped some links, connect with us on LinkedIn. We would love to hear from you. Blow up our LinkedIn's uh, there. And what I would love to, to leave with here, uh, Colin, I'll send this first question your way is uh, what, resource would you recommend to reps or sales leaders to check out that's maybe non-sales related? Maybe something, it could be a podcast, a book, a person to follow. What's something non-sales related that you think would really help their cold calling skills? Uh, Cold calling skills. I'll say two books that are non-cold calling related, but like uh, studying human psychology is, is so key. And one author in particular, Robert Cialdini, um, he's, he has several books, but I, I would say, uh, in, influence would be the top choice there for any sales professional. They should read that book just as much as you should read Dale Carnegie's book as recommended by Megan. That's a non-sales book, but human psychology and communication are, are, are what we're about studying people and communication. Love it. Great book. Definitely double click on that one. Megan, what about you? What non-sales related resource would you recommend that folks get check out to get better at sales or prospecting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I read a lot of John Maxwell books. I love his books. And a lot of them are about leadership and especially being a sales leader. I apply a lot of that to my team. But there's a book, uh, Everyone Communicates, Few Connect. That's a really, really good book. And it does talk about that psychology and about earning buy-in from people. And if you're a sales leader, if you're an SDR, an AE, it works the same way that what you're doing is you're trying to create buy-in and trust with people. And I think that's a really, really good book. Awesome. These are great. Make sure to check out Orem and Zoom Info, zoominfo.com and orem.com. And uh, Colin, Megan, appreciate you two spending time with us and all the engagement from everyone. And this was, uh, this is super fun. Thank you, everyone. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank cool, you. Cool. We will see you later, everyone. Have a good one.